This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Look at Psalm 34, verse 1. The Bible said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do ask you now that you would forgive me for every sin and clean me on the inside. And Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit as this brother prayed just a minute ago. Let it not just be words, Lord. I mean that. I pray that you'd remove all that is flesh and help me to not try to impress any man or any person, but Lord, help me to please you. And then Lord, I know that if I can please you, then it'll help us here tonight. You'll speak to us and you'll speak through me and through your word. And I pray that you'll do that. Don't let anything hinder the Holy Spirit from working tonight. We want the Holy Ghost to have free reign. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd do all that has to be done for that to happen. Remove all the hindrances. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. Here in Psalm 34, uh, I want you to uh, look with me a couple of minutes, and we'll jump to some other places, and we'll come back to it. In Acts chapter 13, verse 36, the Bible said this. It said that David, that David served his generation by the will of God. Now, I know that we're King James Bible people here. Say amen right there. And we believe that, that the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. We don't believe men wrote it. We believe men were moved by the Holy Ghost, and they wrote the Word of God. So when you read over in the book of Acts that the Bible says David served his generation by the will of God. That is God saying that. That is God's own testimony of this man David. And uh, so David served, that ought to be all of our desire. If the Lord tarries his coming and he doesn't take us out of here soon and he, he waits another 10 or 15 or 20 years, then every one of us should hope that the God of heaven would look at our life and say, he or she served their generation by the will of God. That might not do, listen, we don't compare among ourselves. Comparing themselves among themselves, they are not wise. So he's not comparing me to how much Brother Scott can do or, or Brother Lot can do or Brother Dan, but he's going to say, did you do your part? Did I do my part? Did I serve my part faithfully? Did I use my talents and apply them? And I want him to say that about all of us. I want him to say it about our church. I want him to be able to say they served their generation and their town by the will of God. If that's going to be the case as it was for David, I believe we're going to have to have the mindset of David that we see in these few verses. And my mind is really uh, focused on verse 3, that word magnify right there, and we'll get to it. Before we get there, let's just notice a couple of things about this chapter. Number one, I want you to notice David's location. Look in the heading of the psalm. It says a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. Now that Abimelech right there is a title uh, that was given to many of the different Philistine kings and leaders. If you would turn with me back to 1 Samuel 21, 1 Samuel 21 tells the story that that is referencing. 1 Samuel 21, we're going to read a couple of verses starting in verse 10. It said that this psalm was written... It said it was written particularly when David had changed his behavior before that king of the Philistines and who drove him away and he departed. So this is right after he's been driven away from the Philistines. This takes place 1 Samuel 21. I'm talking about David's location when he writes this psalm. Look at it with me in verse 10, 1 Samuel 21 verse 10. The Bible said, And David arose 
and fled that day for fear of Saul. And he went to Achish, the king of Gath, and the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did not they sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself. Note that's the reference from Psalm 34. He changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, ye see the man is mad. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need of mad men that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house. Now what's going on here is I want you to know that when David was writing Psalm 34, and we'll end up back there in just a minute, when he was writing that, that was not during one of the times in his life that everything was going great. I want you to understand that when you read the psalm, uh, that it's not a time in his life. There were some times in David's life when everything was going well. There were some times when he was on the throne and it seemed like every battle that they fought, they were winning and God was blessing everything that he touched. There were some times when he was a young man that he's sitting out in the field and he's fellowshipping with God and he's writing psalms and the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to him. But I need you to understand that in Psalm 34, that's not what was going on in his life. What was going on in David's life right there is what we just read here in this story. As a matter of fact, if you look in the previous chapters you find out that David had just endured in chapter 18 false accusations. Saul had begun to uh, say that David was trying to steal the kingdom from him. Now listen, that was a lie. That was made up in the very mind of Saul himself. Be careful what your own mind says to you sometimes. Years later, Saul looks back and says, I have played the fool. He wasted 13 to 15 years because of this lie that came from his own heart to his own head. And listen, the world will say, follow your heart. But the Bible says that our heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. And Saul's heart lied to him about that boy. And he began to falsely accuse David and say David was a traitor. And David wants to take the kingdom. Now you've got to understand something. It's bad to be falsely accused at any time, but it's exceedingly bad to be accused by somebody you love and somebody you have served and it's somebody you've given everything to. And that was what was going on here. David is enduring uh, the pain of being falsely accused by the man that he loved, King Saul. In chapter 19, he endures fierce attacks. Saul himself throws the javelin and tries to take his life. And by the way, just so you know, uh, the Holy Spirit wrote it out so we would know he wasn't playing, that David was able to evade it and it stuck in the wall. He fully intended to stick the spear in David and take his life. And then later he sends men to his house to try to kill him in his sleep and he escapes out the window. And so I'm just trying to show you that when he writes Psalm 34, it's not a time when everything's going great. David is enduring some hard times. He endured the false accusations, the fierce attacks, and then he endures in chapter 20 of 1 Samuel the fleeing, having to flee all alone. He was friends with Jonathan, very closely knit. Now remember, David has already left his family to come there and serve the king. And now he's being forced. Jonathan and David were discussing it. And Jonathan said, David, I, I, I just summarize. He said, David, I think you're overreacting. My dad would never harm you. He would never kill you. And David said, no, I, I'm just one step from me and death. And, and Jonathan said, well, listen, why don't you hide out? And I'll go and talk to my dad at the table. And, and I'll feel it out a little bit and see if I can discern whether or not this is a real danger. And David said, how am I going to know? He said, tomorrow I'll come back out here to this field. And you hide and I'll bring the little boy, I'll shoot my arrows. And, and if I tell him to go a little farther to find the arrows, you'll know that you're going to have to flee. If I tell him the arrows are a little closer to come closer, you'll know that everything's okay and you can come home. And sure enough, he talked to his dad that night and he found out that his dad was not only wanting to kill David, but would kill anybody, including Jonathan, that he thought was siding with David. 
So the next day Jonathan comes and he gives the signal. When the little lad leaves, David comes out of hiding and they embrace and tearfully they come to the conclusion that David is indeed going to have to flee. He's going to have to run away. Not with family, not with friends, not with anybody. He's going to have to go all by himself, alone. And David goes on the run trying to figure out what to do. And you get over to uh, chapter 21 and he comes to the priest, uh, and to Nob, to the priest and gets some bread and gets a sword, some other things. And then we find ourselves in our text or these verses we read here in 1 Samuel 21 where he decides this. He says, if I go and hide among the Philistines, the Israelites will never look for me there. They would never think I would hide. So he goes to the Philistines and when he gets there, everything's going okay until some of them start recognizing him. And they say, wait a minute, this is the David that's been killing us. Killed our, killed our giant, killed our champion and he's slain thousands of us and we don't want him here. And so David begins to be fearful yet again and he thinks he's going to be killed. So all he can think to do is, I need to act like I've lost my mind. He acts crazy. And he begins to, uh, uh, you know, scratch, if you will, and scrabble on the walls and, and let spit come out on his beard. And sure enough, it works. And the king says, this man is mad. He's lost his mind. Now, remember, when we we're reading the heading of Psalm 34, it says that he feigned himself, he changed his behavior, and then he departed. Because the Bible said here in chapter 22, verse 1, that after the king said, have I need of madmen, it says, David therefore departed thence. Look what it says. He said he escaped to the cave Adullam. Turn to Psalm 142. We're going to get to Psalm 34. Stay with me now. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Trying to show you David's location so we can really understand the power of this psalm right here. In Psalm 142, there at the end of chapter 21, he had changed his behavior and acted like he was crazy and it worked enough to save his life. He was allowed to depart from Achish and the Philistines, but he didn't still have, have anywhere to go. So he, he's on the run for his life, and he's all alone, and he literally thinks he's going to be killed, and he ends up in this cave all by himself. The Bible said here in Psalm 142, if you look at the heading here, Masculine of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. And so this is the same time frame when he's writing Psalm 34. I just want to show you some words so you can get the mindset of what's going on, how serious it is. In verse 1, he says, I cried unto the Lord. In verse 2, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. Are you noticing a pattern here? This is not a great time of victory. This is not a great time of joy in the life of David. Verse 3, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. In verse 4, he says, I looked on my right hand and beheld there was no man. No man that would know me, refuge fell me, no man cared for my soul. David is, as I told you, he's all alone. He's in this cave. He's on the run. He's afraid for his life. He cries again in verse 5 and in verse 6. He says, attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low, very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison. But right here at the end is the mindset I want you to see. Something changes in David. He says, I need you to get me out of this. And look why he says, that I may praise thy name. That I may praise thy name. Turn back to Psalm 34 if you would. David's location when he's writing Psalm 34 is this. He is in a time of hardship. Everything's not going great. He is alone. He is an outcast. He is afraid that his life is going to be taken. So I want you to see, secondly, not only David's location, David's determination. At this time of hardship, at this time of struggle, at this time in the cave all by myself, I don't have mom and dad, I don't have the preacher, I don't have my friends, I don't have anybody. I want you to see his determination. Despite his circumstances, David is making a, con a conscious decision to, first of all, bless the Lord. 
He says in verse 1, I will bless the Lord, notice, at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I said that the Bible said that David served his generation by the will of God. And if we're going to be able to finish well and serve our generation by the will of God, we're going to have to have the mindset of David. I'm particularly speaking of this mindset right here. The mindset that despite our circumstances, we are going to make the decision to continually bless the Lord. Because there are going to be times that we are alone. There are going to be times that we are hurting, that we have been hurt by somebody we looked up to, somebody we love, somebody we had confidence in is going to make false, false accusation as Saul did. Hey, and the people we were relying on, we look and there's nobody there on the right or left. And we somehow find ourselves away from everything we've ever known. And we are there. Remember Paul got there. He said, at first answer, no man stood with me. But then Paul realized what David realizes as well is that when Christians are alone, we're really not by ourselves. Because Paul said, nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. And David says, you know what? I need you to bring me out of all this trouble so that I might praise your name. And in verse 1, he says, matter of fact, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. In other words, David was saying this. I'm not just going to praise the Lord when everything's going great. Now, we're bad about that. We're bad about really praising him when everything's going great. But when we find ourselves in a trial, uh, we're not so good at it. But David had a mindset that God was worthy of his praise, whether he felt like it or not. That God was worthy of his praise, whether the circumstances looked like it or not. And David was making a conscious decision that I will, notice those words, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will praise him when I'm falsely accused. I will praise him when I'm attacked. I will praise him when I'm alone. David is praising the Lord despite what's going on in his life in this cave on the run all alone and he says continually now let me say something to you this really oftentimes is what separates us it's one of the main things that separates us and shows this world there's a difference between us and them see what do you mean I mean when everything's going good in the life of a lost person they're also doing well they're praising and they're happy and they're upbeat just like we are but see, we're supposed to be able to be that way when the bottom falls out. And they don't have that. You say, why not? Because they don't have Jesus. We have that old song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Some of the sweetest times in my life with the Lord have been in some of the hardest times in the circumstances of my life. I remember many years ago when our pastor messed up, fell into immorality. And our church was plunged into turmoil for many years. And uh, I don't know, you may think Hickory's a little town, but Marion is a little town. And when a pretty good-sized church in a little town has trouble like that, it's a big deal. And I remember things were just falling apart around us. And I had moved from Kentucky to come there to work in that church. I had followed the will of the Lord. I had had God lead me to leave all my family, come to that church because, man, things were going on and God was doing stuff and I just wanted to be part of it. And I remember thinking when that thing blew apart, I thought, Lord, you knew this was going to happen and you brought me here. I remember thinking, well, what are you doing and what are we doing? And we started having prayer meetings. Now, we have all-night prayer meetings sometime, Brother Scott, getting ready for, like, youth rally or getting ready for camp meeting. We'll just get some guys. Just the other day, we started a fall program. We do it all night, but we did from, like, 10 to 12, a late-night prayer meeting. And we would do that from time to time through our history. But we started having some prayer meetings then, and it wasn't because youth rally was coming. And it wasn't because we was getting ready to have a big meeting. It was, Lord, what is going to happen to our church? Are we even going to have one? And I remember one night... And there was only about four of us, and I was a young guy then, 
There was about four or five of us guys praying, me and a couple of the young guys and then a couple of older guys. One of the older guys that was there that night praying, his wife had just left him. He was in a double storm. And we were there just, listen, there wasn't a lot of glory going on. It was a whole lot of, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, what are we going to do? Oh, Lord, are we going to have a church? Oh, Lord, just pouring our heart out. There was a young man visiting in town, and uh, he, had a, he had a girl in our church that he was dating, and he happened to be in town. He loved our church, and he could play and sing, and he had good hair and a good voice. He was like all these other guys. <laughs> and I had been down here praying, and, and, and I'd got up, and I just went and sat down right on the front row beside another guy that was there praying. Man, we were just so heavy. And he got up and went to the piano, that boy did, and started playing and singing. And there's a song called Jesus is Precious. It says, when I feel disheartened, forsaken, forgotten, Jesus is precious to me. And he started singing that. And all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost came. You say, well, he's always here. Yeah, I know. I know he promised he'd never leave us nor forsake us. But there are times he manifests himself in a special way. And he come and he sat on me, he sat in my lap and he started hugging on me. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord got really real. And I knelt down again, Brother Scott, and I took another season of prayer. But this time, I wasn't praying about any church troubles. I was just saying, boy, you are good. You're a good God. And you are precious. And man, the Lord just began to flood my soul. Now, I wish I, wish I could tell you young people that when I got up from that, the problems were all gone. Oh, they weren't. They were all still there. But there was something different. Yes, right. It was as if God said, but I'm still here. Amen. And I heard one of our older preachers preach through that time. I wasn't the pastor yet. And I heard one of our older guys who had pastored. And now he was just in the church. And they asked him to preach one night. And he started talking about the people that had left. And not in a bad way. He just said, look, I know folks have left. And he said, I know some folks are not going to come to our camp meeting anymore. And they're not going to come to our youth rally anymore. And he said this. He said, but all that really matters is if the Lord will keep coming. He said, as long as the Lord keeps coming by, he said, that's really all that matters. And I remember as a young man grabbing a hold of that, and I just started saying, Lord, that's right. And it don't matter really who is left and who will come or won't come as long as you will keep coming. And that night in that room, big old empty room, just a few of us, the Holy Spirit came and he ministered to my heart. And I can look back over my life and I can find three and four and five of those. I remember one time, Brother Scott, and I know y'all, y'all already think I'm pretty crazy and you're not far from the truth. But I was driving to school when I was a little late and I was the principal administrator and all that stuff in those days. And I was supposed to make announcements, you know, in the morning. Normally they'll do announcements and pray and stuff. I, might, I was already the pastor, but I was still doing some of those other things. I was just running late. Man, on the way up there, I had some good music playing in the truck. And, uh, man, the Lord came in the truck. I mean, it just, there was a particular line in the song that said, Jesus is alive. And I'd heard that song a thousand times, but that morning when they hit that part and then the backup, they, they repeated that line, it was like it just exploded inside of me. I started crying in the truck. I was beating on the steering wheel, driving down the road. I was shouting, yes, you are alive. Yes, you are. I know people at the red light was like, he's having a seizure. Call 911. <laughs> Something's going on over there. And man, I drove up to the school. They was already done. They'd already started school. Everybody was teaching. I busted in the office. And uh, you got the intercom. I went, Krrr. you're supposed to put all them buttons down one at a time so you don't tear it up. I went, I, I didn't even speak to the ladies. I just pushed the button and said, I want y'all to know. I mean, I was full preaching mode, 
I mean, they're in there going, now children, the letter B, I want y'all to know it comes over the speaker. And I just started telling them, I said, I want you to know this is real. We ain't tricking you kids. We aren't lying to you kids. Jesus is alive and he's real. And man, I was having a time and I said, let's pray. And I just started praying. (laughs) By the time I finished praying, I was crying. The two ladies was crying. I still didn't speak to them. I just turned the buttons off and walked out the door. I come walking down the hallway and the K-5 teacher's class was right across from my office. And she was standing, she's about this big. She stepped, she stepped out in the hallway and was looking at me. And then she said this, she said, Mr. Shirley, she said, uh, this is, and she introduced this man I didn't know. And he was the dad to one of our kids, but it was a separated home. And it was the mom that always brought her. We'd never met this dad. He just happened to have her that morning. And he also happened to be a few minutes late. She said, um, he was here when you came over to the intercom, and uh, he said he'd like to talk to you. <laughs> I want you to know I was ready to talk. I said, good, come on in here. He got down on his knees and said he was going to repent and get right with the Lord, said he'd already been saved. He said, what are you talking about? I'm talking about times when God has manifested himself, and maybe the circumstances are not all great, but God just showed up, and all of a sudden you can say, bless the Lord. You know, the world don't have that. With all their money, with all their fame. Robin Williams, just a few years ago, up in his room, he's got everything the world would think you would need to love your life. He's got fame, he's got friends, he's got the money. But somehow or another, he looked at his life. You know where he was? He was in a dark cave all by himself. Yeah, everything, the world thought he had everything, but he was all alone. The difference between him and us is he really was. When I was in that church that night and we felt like everybody had left and we was all alone, I wasn't. Tis so sweet. The Lord makes himself sweet and somehow in the midst of our trials, we're able to bless the Lord continually whereas they look and say, I'd rather not live another day of this life. Just a few weeks ago, a lady named Kate Spade Worth $200 million. Some of you may have her purses and her stuff and all that. And if you do, you spent too much money on that purse. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that. I said, it already, I said, we don't have any of her stuff. And somebody said, well, Sunshine, that's, one of my, that's my new daughter. Sunshine's got a phone case from her. I thought, you better have had that when you came into my house. Praise God. You said, what happened to her? She looked at her life and thought, it's not worth living in another day. You know what's the difference? They get in caves too. They find themselves with all their money and everything. It just don't fix it. The difference is we get in there and David's all by himself and he looks to the right hand and the left hand and there's nobody there. And then all of a sudden something on the inside says, yeah, but I'm going to bless the Lord. And we've got to get to where we always can bless the Lord. He wasn't just going to bless the Lord. He was going to boast only in the Lord. David's looking at his life and he's saying, everything good that's ever happened to me is because of him. Everything good I've ever achieved, it had nothing to do with me. It's all about God. I will bless the Lord at all times. He said, my pray, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. David wasn't going to say I was a great war hero. David wasn't going to say I was a, you know, a great military strat- strategist. Strategist? Is that the word? What would they say in Tennessee? Strategist, okay. In Kentucky, we'd say army guy. He wasn't. That's what we'd say in Kentucky. And I was a math teacher, not a grammar teacher, okay? But David's saying now, he said, I, I'm not going to say any of that about myself. Anything good's ever happened to me, he did it. And listen, 
Certainly all of us should be able to testify to that. I hope you don't think that everything you've achieved is because of you. Because the Bible says every good and every perfect gift coming from above. Everything good that's ever happened to me is because, listen, it's like old Mephibosheth. One day the king sent for me. And he took mercy on me. And everything good I've ever had is because of the king. And so we see David's determination is to bless the Lord. And then last of all, I want you to see, notice David's then exhortation. Verse 3. He said, my soul shall make her boast in verse 2 in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. That's his exhortation then. Not just him. He said, he said about himself, I will bless the Lord continually. I will do it. I mean, just every day, I'm going to bless the Lord despite my circumstances. But then he turns it and says, no, why don't you magnify the Lord with me? And I, I thought about that word magnify. Of course, your mind immediately goes to a magnifying glass. And then my next thought was, well, what does a magnifying glass do? Well, if I were to ask that question, probably many without thinking would just say it makes things what? Bigger. But you know, it really doesn't. A magnifying glass doesn't make anything change its size. It makes it look bigger. You, you don't, you know, it doesn't change the size of of that little ant that you guys used to melt with the sun through that magnifying glass because y'all were sadistic, wicked creatures before Peter came along and told us we couldn't do all that stuff. Uh, it didn't change the size of that ant. You know, it, did, it made it look bigger. And, you know, when I thought about that, I thought, yeah, what a, what a joke to think you could make God bigger. You can't make God bigger. He already holds the universe in his hand. We can't make him bigger. But then I realized this. I mean, we know, we sing the little kid's song. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do, right? We sing it. We teach, we preach it. There's no giant so big. We know how big God is, but here's the thing. The world don't know how big God is. And there are some discouraged Christians right now, and they can't see how big God is. And there's some young people with doubts in their mind right now about whether they want this Christian life or not, and they don't really see how big God is. And so David says, our job is not to make God bigger because we can't, but to try to show everybody how big he is. He said, I want my life to show people that my God is big. Amen. Man, that smoked my heart. I'm afraid sometimes when they hear me talk, I'm not making God look big. I'm afraid sometimes when they hear me murmur. When I get to complaining, you know, and maybe even my own kids here in the other room. I'm not making God look very big. You know, every time a Christian gives up, we show people that God's not big enough. Every time we fail, and I know we're not perfect, but I'm talking about them big fails. Like when David sinned. And the Bible said that he gave the enemies of God reason to reproach. Hey, it's what broke the heart of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah was in that heathen land and he got word of the condition of the city that the walls were still down and the gates were on fire and it said that the enemies of God were reproaching. Listen, they were reproaching God. Here's what they were saying. I thought their God was so strong. I thought their God could give them the victory every time. Where's their God now? You know what happened? The world couldn't see how big God was because of how those Jews had lived. And I don't want my life to ever make God look small. I want my kids to grow up knowing that there is nothing our God cannot do. I want our church to know there is nothing that God cannot do.
I want my faith to make God look big. I want to magnify the Lord. And you know when you're going to do that best? Alone in the cave when going through hard times. I believe you've been going through some hard times, Brother Lot. Brother Andrew leaned over and whispered it to me a little bit. And you know what you're doing? Just by going on and keeping on, you're showing some younger people how big God is. I remember a lady in our church got breast cancer before I was a pastor. And they didn't know how it was going to end up. And she would get up in the choir and we got spotlights shining right on the choir. Now, it would be one thing, brother, if they were singing a song about the valley and, and she was, you know, being moved by that. And that's fine. But I noticed it. It was when they were singing songs about God's goodness and the praising of the Lord. That it seemed like every time they started singing those songs, she'd be standing up there with that cancer in her body. She'd be staring up into those lights like she was looking straight at God. Just tears in her eyes and, and her little hand going up. And I remember thinking, now she's got a big God. I remember all them years when my daddy was a drunk and our life was a wreck. I mean a wreck. And my mom was, wouldn't stop taking us to church. And they used to sing a song at our little old church about the blood that was over the door in Egypt. And the song is, Is the Blood Still There? Where the storm would come and a little boy would go ask his daddy, Daddy, will you go look? Is the blood still there? And the chorus says, Yeah, the blood is still there. The second verse then makes application to our lives. And it says that looking out over all the damage that the storm has left behind. And my mom used to sing that song when I was a boy. She would sing the verses. Now, I grew up in one of them, uh, you know, we talk about shouting churches, and there are shouting churches, and then there are shouting churches. And ours was one of those. We didn't just shout amen. When Mama would get wound up, she shouted like an Indian, praise God. I mean, we used to call it getting happy. How many of you ever heard that terminology, getting happy? And she'd just put her hands up, whoa, and praise the Lord. I remember watching her, though, thinking, wait a minute, Mom, she was saying these words, looking out over all the damage the storm has left behind. Well, that means the storm's already gone. And ours wasn't. We were in it. And she'd still shout. She'd still shout about the blood is still there and how good God has made it. And as I got a little older, I'd think on that. And I'd think, Mama, I understand if it was already gone and God had already turned it around and everything was already fixed and now you're shouting about what God did and brought you out. But Mama, you're still in the middle of it. Your husband's still a drunk and we still got nothing and our life is still a storm. You know what she was doing? She was showing her boy that God is a big God. Amen. And listen, the magnifying glass doesn't just, it doesn't just make them look bigger. The second thing it does is this. It shows you details that you can't normally see. And when I got saved, I was just seven, Brother Scott. And the reason I got saved that night was I didn't want to go to hell. That was it. Now, if you don't think that's enough good reason to get saved, then, then don't bother talking to me. Amen. I think not wanting to go to hell and knowing if you die lost, you'll go to hell is a perfectly good reason to get saved. And when I went to the altar that night, that's all it was. That preacher said, if you've never prayed yourself and asked God to save you, he said, then if you die, you'll go to hell. And seven years old, the Holy Ghost said, you know, I'd been to an altar in a Bible school and nobody told me to pray. Nobody guided me. Nobody gave me any help. And the Holy Spirit, Brother Andrew, as clear as day, said, you know you didn't pray. And boy, real conviction grabbed me then. And I, what seven-year-old's worried about dying? Seven-year-olds will jump off the house with an umbrella. They don't think they're going to die. But that night, the Holy Ghost said, if you die, you'll go to hell. Man, I went to the altar and got saved. And see, that's all I wanted. That's all I knew. All I knew was that you have to get saved. I didn't know all that other stuff I was going to need in this life. You're talking about the Holy Spirit living in us. I didn't know I was going to need that yet. 
I didn't know dad was going to be a drunk all them years. He wasn't right then. I didn't know all that other stuff I was going to go through. I didn't know our church, the preacher, was going to mess up. And I was, you know, I didn't know I was going to need a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Seven-year-olds got plenty of friends. You say, well, how'd you learn all that? Watching people. Watching people like that lady with cancer in her body. Magnifying God. Showing me that, listen, if you ever get sick, God's big enough to handle that. That if you ever have to go through that, the grace of God is sufficient. You know what that's doing? That's magnifying. There was a family not long ago uh, named the Henry family. Some of you probably seen them on uh, Facebook. And their house burned down and all their children ended up dying, I believe. And that little girl went through, through so much. And that mama just kept coming on there, didn't she? And you know what she was doing? Blessing the Lord. Blessing the Lord. Say, so how could she do that? God was doing it. And she was showing the whole world that we've got something you don't have. And she was showing the whole world that if you ever go through something this bad, our God is good enough to get you through it. You know what that is? That's, that's showing us details that because I ain't never been in anything that bad. I've been through a few things, but sister, I can't imagine that. But she was showing us if you ever have to go through this, God can do it. She's showing us details about God. Magnifying the Lord. I want my life to do that. I want the young people that come through our ministry to watch when troubles come into the preacher's life and see him bless the Lord at all times. I'm not talking about being a fake. I'm not talking about hiding our faults and hiding, like, you know, trying to make them think that everything's roses if you live for God. No, no, no. Bear our heart to them. But just like David at the end of Psalm 142, say, but that I might praise you. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.